Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. Thoughts are just thoughts. Those are just beams of energy that are firing off in your brain. That's all they are. And you can rewire them to be whatever you want them to be and create whatever you want. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Zong, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Okay, so let's talk covert narcissists. What's the difference between them and a regular narcissist? So they are every bit 100% narcissist. They are the same fragile little ego inside, the same super insecure person that's deep inside there. But they look a little bit different because they're not in your face the way regular overt narcissists are. They, they come across as a little bit more passive, a little bit more quiet, so that on the surface, you don't actually even notice that they're narcissists at all in the beginning. You know, as a, a typical narcissist, you think is a person who is telling everybody how great they are all the time. The covert narcissist does not do that. However, because they don't do that and because you can't see it right off the, uh, the bat on the surface, they're actually way more insidious and way more toxic than overt narcissists are. Okay, so another trait of a covert narcissist is that they come across as shy and actually even reserved. They actually probably are uh, prone to uh, bouts of depression. They may even tell you that they have bouts of depression. So, um, you know, on the surface, they're going to seem to be like, maybe they're just nice people. Maybe they might just be more fragile, something like that, because being a victim is uh, very much part of the covert narcissist plan to get people into their lair. Okay, the third thing that you'll see with covert narcissists is they, they seem to be helpful in the beginning. So they'll, they'll actually lure you in with things that they know that you want so that they can appear to be super helpful, but they really just want to use you. So as, once you're into their lair, then they start with the passive aggressive. They start to drip on you like the Chinese water torture. I'm half Chinese. I could say that. Uh, in your on your forehead kind of a thing like and, and and you start to think am I crazy you know because the rest of the world sees this person as being so nice but you kind of know that something is not right they're doing all these little things behind your back and they they're very very good at disguising it in such a way that if you tell somebody about it, that the person's going to go, well, that doesn't sound so bad, but you know that it's like this drip, drip, drip thing that they're doing to try to make you crazy. 
They lure you in with, I'm going to help you with this. And then they start with passive aggressive little things to try to make you crazy. Okay. And the next uh, trait of a covert narcissist is that they often like to play the victim or maybe they're very sickly or they often have health issues or something like that because they constantly need to be the center of attention. So they come up with ways that they can constantly be the center of attention. And then the last thing is that they will not have any sense of empathy for another person. They'll, they can feign empathy, but and, and they, they know when they have to apologize just to apologize for the surface, but they really don't actually have any empathy for the other person because they actually are narcissists and narcissists don't feel anything for anybody but themselves. Okay, so this is all well and good, but if you have a covert narcissist in your life, what can you do about it? So the first thing that you can do about it is not to react, especially if you know that this covert narcissist is trying to get under your skin or trying to manipulate you in some way, or they're saying something to try to get a rise out of you. You just say, good for you, or that's great. Don't react because that's exactly what they want you to do. The second thing that you could do is if the timing seems right, call them out on their behavior, but do it in a very subtle way. You sort of play their game. Oh, I'm surprised to see that you're here today. You said you were sick yesterday, something like that. But you say it without emotion. You don't say it with smugness. You just say it so that they subtly know that you're calling them out on, on their behavior, but you are not uh, bothered by it. You're not, they're not getting a rise out of you. You're just noticing it. So the third thing that you can do is do not, and I repeat, do not let them know that they are getting to you. You do not show any emotion. You do not show that anything that they're doing has manipulated you in any way because that is exactly what they want. And if they get that, then they're going to do more of it. So this is a, a subtle way to start shutting down this behavior. It's kind of like a behavior modification program for narcissists. You don't give them what they want. So don't react because if you do, then that's what they want. Okay, the fourth thing that you can do is kind of similar to the others, but this is specific to gaslighting because this is something that narcissists will do often, and especially covert narcissists too, they're going to try to gaslight you. So you try to make you think that you're crazy. So years ago, there was a, a movie, I think it was actually called Gaslight or something. And this a husband was actually abusing the wife through trying to make her seem like she was crazy. And he would blow out these gaslights. And then she would say, wasn't that just lit? And he would say, no, it wasn't. And that's what gaslighting is. You know, it's just like the subtle little thing to try to make you think that you're crazy. So basically, it's like um, we talked about that. I, you said that it was okay. Um, or um, oh, we had a conversation. Um, I'm sorry there was a misunderstanding on your part. And you know that there was no misunderstanding, or maybe that there was no conversation ever at all. So don't let them gaslight you that way. Just say, no, there was never that conversation. No, we didn't have that conversation. Or no, there was no misunderstanding. This is what we talked about. Something like that. Remain firm. Don't allow them to manipulate you into thinking that you're crazy.
Okay, number five is uh, keep your barriers really strong. One of the things that narcissists do because you know, they've got this mantra that I will not be ignored is they don't respect boundaries. So, you know, they'll come right into your room, they'll read your mail, they will, uh, you know, go places that they're not supposed to be or whatever. And, and they act like, oh, here I am bringing you something nice. Or I'm doing something nice for you. So, you know, I'm not respecting your boundaries, but you're going to forgive me because I'm being nice about it. Something like that. Don't allow them to not respect your boundaries, have super strong barriers, super strong barriers. That's the only way you're gonna be able to manage their behavior and also keep your own sanity. And the other thing that you can do is to slowly close down the barriers of communication. And what I mean by this is if you have a narcissist in your life and or, or a covert narcissist, if the most thing that you can do for yourself is get them out of your life. Okay. Um, and you know, I've recently had to do that with people in my, um, business arena and it, because, you know, I've had some covert narcissists in my life in, in the business arena and I've had to deal with that and it was extremely difficult and it's painful because, you know, it's sort of a betrayal in a lot of ways. Right. But you know, you just have to understand and have compassion for the fact that they're broken people and that they're they have deep, deep insecurities and problems. But that doesn't mean they have to be in your space. So, if I were you, I would try to like slowly uh, shut down those barriers of communication and slowly start to wean them out of your space if you can. How do you become non-reactive? So hard, right? So hard. It's like feels impossible because they just want to trigger you. That is their main goal. They know that if they trigger you, then they have you. That's what they want to do. Why do they do that? They do that because, well, for a number of reasons. First of all, they enjoy it. They actually enjoy it. They enjoy watching you become unglued. It's theater to them. They get narcissistic supply from it. That's like anything that feeds their ego. They know they have control over you then. They know that they still have power over you. They know that they still can get something from you, right? They know that they have that like spin, spin jolly thing going on over you. If you get triggered, that's one of the reasons that they do it. And another reason, even more sinister, even more stealth, even way worse, is because they get you to do things that they can potentially use against you. And as a lawyer, I'm telling you right now, and in negotiations, it's so much worse because it's like getting arrested. Negotiating with a, a narcissist is like getting arrested. Anything you can and do or say will potentially be used against you. So it's so, so important because anything that you write, anything you put your hand to is a potential trial exhibit or is a potential thing that they're going to use against you in negotiations. So it's really important to become non-reactive in negotiations. So how do you do that? Well, one way you can do that is to know your truth. Know who you are, right? Know who you are. I love the book, The Four Agreements. It's four agreements you make with yourself. And one of the agreements 
that you make with yourself is you don't take things personally because the way people treat other people is always a direct reflection of the way they feel about themselves. I love the expression, you can't chase every dog that barks. I mean, you know, people are always going to be saying things. You can't take things personally. And I had this teacher one time, it was this meditation teacher who said to to me, if people say things to you, just, you know, take a listen to it and then decide, is it true? And if it's true, then clean it up. Do you know, do I need to apologize? Do I need to, what do I need to do? If it's not true, then just, you know, move on. When People are attacking you and you want to look fearless. By the way, I have a whole video on that called How to Look Fearless When a Narcissist is Attacking You. You can definitely check that out. But just know your truth, know who you are, and don't defend yourself, by the way. I have a whole video on that too. Because when you defend yourself, that's when you're being a victim. So don't defend yourself. Know your truth. Just stand in your power. And that's one way to become non-reactive. Don't defend yourself. Just state your facts. And you know, you never explain, justify, overshare. You don't get into the trenches with them. You just know your truth, state your facts, stand in your power. So that's number one. Number two is look at things as an observer. You don't process things emotionally. You look at them as a third party observer, almost like you're watching a tennis match or you're watching it happen. It's not actually happening to you. You're watching it. Like there's this glass shield that's happening right here and you're just seeing it happen. Oh, I just saw those words come past me. Oh, I just saw them go that direction. I saw that this person said this thing to me. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. That happened. I see you. So I'm seeing it happen. I'm seeing it as an observer. And you can even verbalize it to them. I see that you're upset. I see that you just said that to me. And and when you start to verbalize it that way, you are actually starting to observe it to them. And you're just non-reactive. Because I want you just to start practicing. I see you because... It's almost like you're playing tennis and you're volleying it back to them. I see you. I see you. You're pushing it back. You're pushing it back to them. You're looking at it as an observer. You're not allowing it to come over to you. It's not coming to your side of the equation. Got it? You're just looking at it as an observer. You're not being triggered. You are not reactive. That's number two. And number three, number three is advice that I take myself all the time, every day. And that is I never leave my thoughts unsupervised. Never leave your thoughts unsupervised. It is a constant process 
what your input is, is what your output is going to be. Obviously, when you're at work, when you are doing things, you're going to be busy. Your thoughts are going to be whatever your thoughts are going to be when you're focused on something else. But when your thoughts have those times of being able to just think whatever they're going to think, I think we think like, ah, 40 thoughts a minute, 100 thoughts a minute, whatever it is. And a lot of times our thoughts go toward the negative if we don't train them properly. So train them, train them properly. So how do you do that? You make sure that you keep your vibrational level high, good thoughts, positive thoughts, joy, happiness, contentment, peace. Those are high vibrational thoughts. You want to make sure you keep them high. So how do you do that? You listen to audio books, you listen to YouTube videos, you listen to podcasts, whatever it is that you need to listen to, to make sure that those thoughts are going where you need to go. And you can listen to books that are going to keep you motivated, keep you positive, keep you energized, keep you feeling good, whatever it is, whoever makes you feel good, whoever makes you feel like I'm ready, I'm good, this is great. Because thoughts are just thoughts. Those are just beams of energy that are firing off in your brain. That's all they are. And you can rewire them to be whatever you want them to be and create whatever you want. And you can literally manifest whatever life you want to manifest. You just got to reprogram the thoughts. Okay, so that's number three. Never leave your thoughts unsupervised. And that's how you start to become non-reactive to people and how you can start to become not triggered by those crazy toxic people in your life, which is super critical When you are dealing with them, when you're negotiating with them, whether it's a formal negotiation or whether it's just a conversation and you're just communicating with them on a daily basis. So now I teach people how to negotiate and specifically how to negotiate with high conflict personalities, difficult people, narcissists. That's what I teach people how to do. And that's why my channel has blown up so much. I tell people that 80% of a negotiation is won before you walk into a room. Um, and that 50% of it is your mindset. Talk about that. Idea. Well, first of all, I don't agree with you. I think 95% of it's mindset. I think success is 5% strategy, 95% mindset. There's a woman I coach, Catherine Weishopel. She lives in Germany, very bright lady. And One of the first coaching meetings I was in with her, Gina, my assistant, was there taking notes, and I was talking to her, and she said, I think success is 5% strategy, 95% mindset. Woo. But intuitively, I knew she was right. In my mind, that went back to when I started. I didn't know how to spell strategy. I didn't know what strategizing even meant. I had a picture of going and building a city uh, building a business in Atlanta. I flew in one night at five o'clock. I was with my brother. I phoned a real estate agent. I had this whole picture. And I said, would you spend tomorrow with me if I rented an office from you about 5,000 square feet and a long, long lease? He said, sure. He said, what do you want me to do? I said, I'll meet you in the morning. I said, I just want you to drive me around. On the plane, I wrote down, 
go to the Better Business Bureau. I went put an ad in the paper for people. I rented an office. I rented furniture. I got the phone. I had everything done. I flew out of there the next night at 5 o'clock. Two weeks later, we were in business in Atlanta. I just had a picture. I didn't understand strategy. It's the image. The image is everything. You keep believing thinking about the, that, Rebecca. Believing the, 5%, 5% strategy, 95% mindset. And I do agree with you. I think it's won or lost before you even enter the room. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about... It's attitude. Attitude. Attitude for sure. I have a word for you that rhymes with attitude that I want you to talk about, which is gratitude. Where does that fall into all of this? Well... That is chapter seven in all Wallace Waddle's book, The Science of Getting Rich. I talked about Sandy Gallagher, my partner. She teaches us better than anybody I know. Gratitude, Waddle said, he said there's an, the, 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 um, the entire process of mental adjustment and atonement can be summed up in one word, gratitude. Do you know what that means? If, you, if you're disturbed with anything, something's bothering you, or there's something really disturbing you, if you sit down, and write out what you're grateful for. You gotta be sincere. You're really grateful. Your world changes. Yeah, because now you're in receiving mode, right? Well, you're, you're not only in receiving mode, you've connected to your source of supply. When you're in a state of gratitude, you're connected to your source of supply. Gratitude is an attitude that will fix anything. Anything. Every morning, I sit down and I write out 10 things I'm grateful for. First thing I do, and why is it important that you write it instead of just say it? Well, writing causes thinking. Thinking creates an image. The image stirs the emotion. The emotion sets up the vibration. Writing is very important. If you have something you want to do, a new habit you want to form, write it out in the present tense. I'm so happy and grateful now that I wake up feeling wonderful with a smile on my face every morning. Write that out a hundred times every day for a month. I guarantee you're going to wake up with a smile on your face feeling wonderful every morning. The writing programs the mind. It's a way of reprogramming, changing the paradigm. The paradigm is what controls your life. Totally. And, and so for people who are listening to this, because this is a lot of my community, they feel paralyzed right now. They feel powerless. They feel traumatized, beat up, used, and abused. Where would you have them start? Like, give them I would have them start by, first of all, understanding that there is someone that can help them. And that someone is Rebecca Zung. You can help them. You know you can help them. They've got to believe you can help them. Then they've got to do exactly what you tell them. And where they should start is where Ray got me to start. Sit down, write what you want on a card in the present tense, and read it as often as possible every day, what you want. And ask big. Don't say, I'll just take... Oh, yeah. Listen, there's no limit. We're God's highest form of creation. We got a marvelous mind. First of all, we want to understand nothing's big and nothing's small. When we really understand that, we'll start raising the bar. Yeah, because a lot of people, when, when they come to me for individualized coaching, and I now coach people 
in business and, you know, all over the world, literally all over the world. And I have people who will come to me and they'll start off with, I don't want a lot. I just want this. If I could just have this, uh, it would be okay. I would say, listen, if you're going to work with me, I want you to want a lot. Exactly. I want you to want a lot, always more. And if you don't want it, give it to somebody that needs it. But I want you to be a wonderful recipient of plenty, of abundance. I want you to see yourself as a person that attracts abundance. And you spread it everywhere you go. You're going to be just the distributor of great good. So if you're going to work with me, I want you to want a lot. Quit settling. There's no settling in my world. Because the universe is very responsive. It's going to give you exactly what you ask for. So if you, only, right. if you say, I only want this, then that's what you're going to manifest. That is because the universe is totally deductive. The universe can only accept. Your subconscious mind is your universal mind. It can only accept. It can't change anything. And if you're thinking sad thoughts and you turn them over to your subconscious, that's exactly where you're going to be. You've got to see yourself with the life you want, living the way you want, being who you want. That's how you're building your business, Rebecca, and that's how they can build theirs. Yeah, their business or their personal lives or, or getting out and, and starting a new life, getting out and, and divorcing a narcissist or whoever it is, it, whether it's a, a business partner or a, a, a romantic partner or whatever, wherever you are is the jumping off point right now. Yep. A lot of times you're not necessarily noticing it right away. But first of all, you start off thinking this person is perfect. Whether it's a business relationship or a personal relationship, I dealt with a narcissist in a business situation personally. And, you know, my husband and I have had to deal with narcissists and our family as well. And, you know, regardless of the type of narcissist, whether it's a covert narcissist or an overt narcissist, it's the same kind of thing. You know, they start off amazing. They start off like, oh my gosh, it, this is like the most perfect, amazing person in the world. And they make you feel like you're the most incredible human being they've ever met. Like, wow, the stars have aligned. And then, they start this hot and cold thing. And that's where the game playing starts. That's the very first thing that you start to notice, this hot and cold, this ghosting and, you know, where did they go? That's the first sign, really, a lot of the time. You know, now all of a sudden you're needy or something like that, you know, that they, they, you can't get them to text you back or they're super passive aggressive. You can't get them to do the things that you asked them to do or they promised that they would do. If it's a business relationship or you're finding out that there's gaps in their stories or there's lying and they've got some kind of explanation about it, there's red flags that are showing up. And, you know, you start to see that they're making promises that they have no intention of fulfilling. And then a lot of times, you know, you start to see them, they come like all the way up as close to your breaking point as possible. Like you're just about to the edge of, you can't take it anymore. And then 
back to love bombing again, back to future faking, back to it's all going to be better, back to you'll see, oh my gosh, it's going to be amazing, back to, you know, if it's a romantic situation, flowers, or I'm so sorry, or crying and desperate to keep you or whatever it is. And, you know, if it's a business relationship, all of a sudden they start doing the things they were supposed to do or whatever it is because they know like you're maybe about to leave or something. You know, so this is hot and cold, this up and down all the way to your breaking point where you feel like there's no way you can stay another day and then they're good again and then back to this thing. So you start to see that all the time. And in negotiations, you kind of see that where... You think you have a deal and all of a sudden you don't have a deal anymore. Now they add something else or they take away something. And now it's constantly what I say, moving the goalposts. By the way, I have a whole video on why narcissists move goalposts, which you should definitely check out. Why do narcissists move goalposts constantly? Definitely check out that video. In that same vein, similar vein, they never resolve issues in the relationship. You have this constant circular conversation. You know, you're trying to resolve an issue and they never resolve the issue. That's another game that they play. You know, you sit there and you try to have a conversation with them about something. And let's say you try to, talk to them about maybe something that they did or didn't do. And it's, why are you bringing this up now? Oh, I don't like your tone of voice. Oh, everybody can hear you right now. I'm really tired. Why are you talking about that? Oh, do this first. You know, Before you get to that, let's talk about this. And you never get to talking about what you wanted to talk about. Well, you interrupted me. So you never get to talking about what you wanted to talk about ever. You know, there's never any resolution to problems in the in the relationship. And another thing is way that they play games is that they just never give you what it is that you want in the relationship. They'll say that they're going to give you what you want. You'll see that it's going to be better. And from now on, I'm going to always do this, that, or the other thing. It could be the simplest thing. You know, if you're married to the person, from now on, I'm going to be doing the laundry every single week or whatever it is. And then they just never do it. And, you know, well, this week I had that and this week I had this and it just never happens. And why are you always on my back? Whatever it is, I mean, it just never happens. So those are the, you know, some of the game playing that they do so far, you know, and then a lot of times it's just that they'll just raise their voice. You know, you're trying to talk to them. And the more you try to talk to them about something, they'll just raise their voice or they'll use hand gestures. They might even get physical with you 
because they just don't want to hear what you have to say. Or maybe they'll just walk away because they don't want to hear what you have to say. Maybe they just won't even text you back. Maybe they'll just completely ghost you because they don't want to hear what you have to say. You know, so that's another way that they will game play you. They're just completely manipulating you constantly. So, you know, they're they're toying with your feelings. It's just hot and cold constantly. You don't ever get what you want. They get what they want because they're constantly controlling you, game playing with you, and you just constantly feel used, abused, emotionally wracked, and everything is your fault. Everything is, you know, put on you. You're constantly being made to feel guilty. You're the one who's irresponsible, lazy you know, the problem in the relationship and everything's always turned back on you. And, you know, that's the way they manipulate. That's the way they game play. So, you know, those are just some of the the things, those are just some of the ways that narcissists game play in relationships, romantic, business, personal, they act the same, whether it's covert, overt, doesn't matter. They act like that in any. And and when they are negotiating, it's the same thing, only it's even more heightened. And that's why I specialize in this because you cannot negotiate with a narcissist in a regular, reasonable person way. The regular rules of negotiation just simply do not work with narcissists. All right. So early red flags of narcissists early, early, early before they even come near you. I want to make sure that you get like this cone of safety, cone of safety around you, right? So maybe you've been in a relationship with a narcissist. Maybe you're trying to get out of one right now. And if that's you, if you're trying to get out of one right now, I have, by the way, I have a free ebook that you got to get. It's free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet that you got to get. You just go to crushmydeal.com, free ebook. You can just get that. Just go ahead and grab that. I've had many people win their entire negotiations on it. Just go to crushmydeal.com and get that. But if you are even thinking that you might be in a relationship, these are the early signs. I'm going to give you six of them and you're going to want to stay all the way to the end and see what all six of them are. All right. So number one is it's a really, really fast moving relationship, really fast moving. You know, they're, they're like right away. It's overwhelming fast. You know, they got to get to it, get to it, get to it. And you're almost overwhelmed at how quickly they're moving along this relationship. And, and, you know, you don't have a chance to catch your breath. That's how it is. By the way, this is business or personal. I was in a business relationship with a narcissist and I felt this too in the business relationship. It it moves very, very quickly. So that's number one. Number two, the second big major red flag of a narcissist is that they'll say things like your soulmates, things like that. You know, they'll start saying things that will make you feel like, wow, where has this person been? 
all of my life. Right away. I mean, they might even say that on the first date or maybe even before the first date, they'll say things like that. So that's number two, early red flag that you are in a relationship with a narcissist. Number three, number three, they will say things like, their ex is just crazy. They'll start right away with how horrible their ex is and how awful it was with their ex. I mean, they might even say how horrible their ex is with their kids, that they're alienating them with their kids. And it was just an awful traumatic situation with their ex. That's another massive early red flag that you are in a relationship with a narcissist. If you are with a, with a person that has a great relationship with their ex, that's a good sign. That's actually a good sign. Okay. Conversely, the number four early red flag that you are in a relationship with a narcissist is that they love everything that you love. What narcissists do is they study you. They actually study you and they start mirroring you. They actually be kind of become you. They start figuring out what it is that you like. And now all of a the sudden, they almost want to align with everything that you love so that you almost sort of fall in love with yourself in a way. They're very, very good at reading people. They've been doing this for years. I don't know if many of you have read the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, where he talked about it took 10,000 hours to achieve mastery. Well, this is way more than 10,000 hours. These are people who have taken years and years and years to achieve mastery and manipulation since they were children. It's a survival mechanism. And so what they have done is actually studied people since they were children. And and what they needed to do was to survive, was look to see what they needed to do to become that person, to become likable. And so they really almost become that person just just to get in with them, just to become assimilated, just to get to that next level of commitment. They love everything that you love initially. And I have a whole series of videos on this love bombing, and then they go into devaluing and then the discard phase. And you can check out my videos on the three different levels of a narcissistic relationship yourself, if you would like. And now after all of this, your, your eyes will be wide open because that's where you'll be from now on, eyes wide open. So that's number four. Number five, number five early red sign of narcissism is they'll tell you a sob story, sob story to get you to feel sorry for them. You know, maybe they had a horrible childhood life hasn't been fair to them. They'll tell you all about how awful things have been for them so that you start to feel sorry for them. Maybe their parents weren't good to them. 
or something happened to them because they want you to start to empathize for them, have compassion for them, take care of them, start giving them that narcissistic supply that they're seeking. They're going to look to see if you are going to be a good source of narcissistic supply for them. That's what they're going to be looking for, all right? So they're drawing you in, bringing you in to see and starting to test you to see if you are going to be a good source of value, a good source of supply for them. Another early red flag of narcissism, telling you a sob story. All right, that's number five. And number six, the last one is your gut. Trust your gut. You're gonna know, you're gonna feel like something is off. You're just gonna feel it because it's gonna be rushed along. They're gonna be moving you along. You're gonna be feeling like, oh man, put the brakes on. Something is happening. It's going way too fast. And even when you start to go, you know what? Maybe this is moving too fast. I don't know about this. They're going to be going, oh no, this is not moving too fast. We are soulmates. This was meant to be. They're going to be every time you start to have concerns, they're going to have an answer for you. They're going to be right there, not even giving you that chance to breathe, not giving you that chance to think because they're going to be right there in your face with the emails, flooding your inbox, showing up wherever all the time. And they're going to know exactly what to say. Be perfect at every moment until they lock you in. Did you know that Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take 20,000 breaths a day? But according to the EPA, it's two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. And it's sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. I know for us and our family, our family has struggled with allergies to dust mites and mold and all sorts of things. And that's why we have loved using an air purifier and air doctor has been amazing for us. And it has captured the attention of media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and more. And it filters out 99.9% of dangerous contaminants such as allergens and pollen and pet dander and all sorts of bacteria and viruses so that your lungs don't have to. And it's super quiet and much more quiet than other ordinary air purifiers. Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. So head to airdoctorpro.com and use your promo code your best life. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to $300 off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code YOURBESTLIFE. 
Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive your store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bestlife, all lowercase. Go to Shopify. Dot com slash best life to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash best life. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zong. They love to see you go crazy. They love to see you get triggered. You just have to do whatever you can not to allow yourself to show that. And that's why you really need to have those boundaries. That's why you really need to keep your interactions as brief as possible because you know that you're going to get triggered, especially if you've had a longer term relationship with them. They know how to push your buttons. They just know exactly what to do to push those buttons. Are you struggling with a narcissist in your life? Whether it's a family member, a friend, a business partner, a soon-to-be ex, whoever it is, are you ready to shift that power dynamic, but you're just feeling like you cannot win, like everybody is believing their lies, and you're just feeling like there's just no way that you can shift that power dynamic. I've got a brand new masterclass for you. I'm sharing all my secrets and so that you can finally take back your power and break free from this hell emotionally, physically, and spiritually. I've never done this free masterclass before. Go to Break Free From Hell and sign up. Come be with me and get my secrets so that you can finally take back your power and break free. Break free from hell and let's do this. Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. They want to be able to control you. They want to be able to control their kingdom. They feel insecure when other people are around. They they feel like your attention is on other people other than them. They feel your love is on people other than them. And they don't want you to love or feel affection for people other than them. That's why they isolate you. And now we return to today's show. 
once someone is finally out of a relationship and they're still dealing with the emotional trauma, I mean, it takes a while to get over this. Um, what can they do? I know you offer something called Sir Thriver on your website. Maybe you could uh, share with the listeners a little bit about that. Sure. So um, there's a lot of things that survivors have to learn about themselves to understand why they were a victim, why they didn't see it. And a lot of that peeling back of the onion and the layers are work that they have to do. So a lot of times it's that they just didn't simply know what a boundary was um, or that they didn't know that they were a people-pleasing person, which is an asset that a narcissist will hone right in on. Oh, goody, someone's going to do my laundry for me. Um, So you have to learn those skills. But so often when you've been through this, this whirlwind of crazy, um, you end up with PTSD. And sadly, most doctors don't even like can identify that. If you go to the doctor while you're going through a horrific divorce, you're thrown on antidepressants, you're thrown on anti-anxiety, you can't sleep, you're thrown on sleeping pills. That's what a doctor would say. Um, Most therapists, I I think there's a number out there of like in the high 60% don't even know what a narcissistic personality disorder person or relationship looks like. So make sure you're getting really good counseling. Make sure they understand what your your plight is and how you can recover because talk therapy is one thing, but getting into those memories and kind of helping deal with the anger because you're gonna have you're gonna have grief, you're gonna have anger, you're gonna have fear. You know, middle aged people like myself going through a divorce, what am I going to do now? Um, everyone has those fears. So we did des- design this Sir Thriver um, recovery course to help people um, move past that anger um, and, and to take that memory out and almost detach the emotional attachment to even that day in court, that horrible day that you can remember. If you're holding on to that anger, you're holding on to their memory and they see attached to you, their back baggage in your backpack, walking along into the next relationship with you. And so you have to cut that tie to that emotional bound. And also we have another course, which is based on forgiveness. And um, forgiveness, I think is the wrong word here. It's again, releasing them from your memory, releasing that pain that gets triggered every time you go by that restaurant that he proposed at, or you have these triggers that come, there's a way of getting rid of those. And um, we have an NLP course on there that is extremely powerful. So let's get into the five rules for surviving relationships with narcissists. Number one, if you are still in this relationship, and you are day to day going toe to toe with this person, whether it's a family member, it is somebody that you work with, somebody that you have to deal with on a regular basis. Do not try to get into the mud with them because that is what gets them going. So never explain, justify, 
or defend yourself because that is what they want to do. They want to trigger you. They want to suck you in. They want to get going with you. They don't want to have a regular conversation with you. They enjoy the process of watching you squirm and manipulate you and have this thing where they're sort of leading you around and it's a sickness with them. You know, you, you can't just have this normal conversation. It's this thing that you get into. You end up trying to explain yourself constantly or justify or defend yourself constantly. And so you almost have to pretend like you're reporting the news or become an observer of a conversation. You know, I can see that you're upset. I see that you are having a moment and we can come back to this when you are less upset or something like that, where you are almost completely taking yourself out of the conversation. And, you know, they want to constantly attack you and they know what triggers you, especially if you've been in a relationship with them for a period of time, a long period of time. They're going to say the things that they know will trigger you. You're horrible with money. You're a terrible parent. You, you know, no one likes you. Your family hates you. You know, they'll say the things that they know are going to get you sucked into that thing with, with them. And you're going to want to defend yourself and don't take that bait because then you're going to get sucked into it. So if you really want to survive your relationship with a narcissist, just say, you know, I know that's how you feel. I understand that that's your position. Don't explain, don't justify. And I do have a whole video, by the way, on five kick-ass comebacks to narcissist texts. So if you're in a text conversation with them, definitely check out that video as well. The next one is never take anything personally. Again, you know, you're surviving a relationship with a narcissist. This is not an easy situation. So again, difficult, but understand that these people have a disorder. There's something going on with their brain and you can't take it personally what's going on there. So there's a great book out there. I've recommended it before. We'll put a link to it below in the description. Check it out. It's called The Four Agreements. It's four agreements that you make with yourself. But one of the agreements is that you never take anything personally because the way people treat other people is always a direct reflection of the way they feel about themselves. And so you just you just can't take it personally. Hurt people hurt people, right? You know, I always think of Wonder Woman with the bullets like coming off of the, the wrist there. Just oh, okay, I understand. You just can't take it personally the way that they are acting. Okay, so that's number two. Number three is develop a support system. So, so, so important to develop that super strong support system 
because you're really going to need it, especially, you know, going forward outside friends. I mean, one of the things that narcissists do, especially if in a personal relationship with a narcissist, you know, this person is your spouse or, you know, the most important person in your life. They try to isolate you. They try to say, oh, you know, I'm the only one who loves you or, you know, the things like that or whatever. Start really developing more of a support system outside of that person. Have friends or even psychologists, therapists, you know, whoever it is that you can go to so that you can start developing a support system outside of that narcissist. I do have a video called Self-Care to Cope with Narcissists, and I even have a whole playlist here on all kinds of videos on self-care to cope with narcissists. Definitely check out the videos in that playlist and check out my video on that as well. I do have a partnership with betterhelp.com if you need online therapy. You know, we do receive commissions because we do have a partnership with them. It doesn't cost you any extra if you decide to use their help. I just only recommend services that we trust. I want you to have the support that you need. Please don't go without the support that you need. I want to just offer that to you if you need that. All right, next, start doing things that make your soul happy every day. Just a little something that makes your soul happy every day, something. If it's like a two-minute thing that makes your soul happy every day, Whatever that is, I mean, put on a song and dance to it or sing out loud in the shower or call somebody who makes you happy or cook something or whatever it is, but just find something every day that just brings you joy and do that. Find a few minutes every day to do something that brings you joy in your heart, whatever that is. People who have been surviving relationship with narcissists, you'll go the entire day and not have done one single thing that brings you joy. And if you can just carve out a few minutes a day for yourself to do something that brings you joy, that makes your soul happy, it will make the hugest difference in your life. I'm telling you, do something every day that brings you joy and makes you happy, anything. And number five, super important, start planning your escape. Even if it's gonna be 10 years from now or whatever it is, I just interviewed somebody for a podcast, which I'm going to be airing here soon. You know, he talked about how, you know, he knew it was gonna be 10 years from then, but he had read the book by Viktor Frankl and Man's Search for Meaning and how, you know, he knew, you know, be years from then or whatever, but he knew that it was going to be at some point and he had made a decision that you know he could endure because at some point there was going to be an end a lot of the people in my community are dealing with toxic relationships um, and trying to get over them. And um, I would love for you to sort of weigh in and help us with how to move on, how to get past that. Absolutely. Um, And so what's, you know, one of the things that you would suggest 
Mm -hmm. uh, for people to do. Yeah. So um, here's the thing about, you know, relationships in general, right? Um, we, We get almost attached to how other people um, treat us, right? We want to be loved. We want to be respected. We want to, you know, be in, in, in a relationship with somebody, whether it's a friend or whether it's a romantic relationship, right? We want to feel good in that relationship. And so what happens for many people is that they're looking for that other person to in some way make them feel important, valued, loved, right? Now, here's the problem. When you're dealing with a narcissist, you're dealing with a fundamentally broken human and you are attached to how they're treating you, right? You're demanding, you need to treat me with the love and the respect that I deserve, okay? Except the issue is that other human because of their own inner issues that they have way before they met you, they're not capable. And what happens in toxic relationships is that this is all very unconscious, but people personalize that. So they, their, their emotions get so triggered by this person and their behavior. And then they go to try to fix or control or change the narcissist, if you would just behave in this way so that I can feel loved and I can feel valued. And that's where people can can feel so emotionally damaged because they're expecting this other person to make them feel in a way that that other person is just not capable of making them feel. I yeah, I totally agree, and that's super incredible insight. I, I was wondering if you could also sort of expound on the fact that you know narcissists have this uh, pattern that they have with uh, in relationships, which is yeah. love bomb, devalue, discard, and 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 there's uh, they kind of go back and forth between these various. I tell people all the time, it's not linear. It's not yeah. love bomb stop, devalue stop, discard stop. They'll be love bombing, then devalue, love bomb, devalue. And can you talk about from a psychological perspective, what's happening with somebody's brain when that's happening? Yeah. So um, the narcissistic personality is really created by worthlessness, but the narcissist doesn't know that. Okay. So there, so what happens in, in a, um, in a, in a, person's life when they are very young, okay, something happens where they feel a fundamental sense of worthlessness. They don't even have to remember what it was, but this worthlessness gets created. And then this person will um, sort of try to overcompensate for that worthlessness um, by um, trying to control a lot of areas of you know, his or her life. Okay. So, um, as, so, so that's what's going on psychologically. Okay. Is that the narcissist is very focused externally on control and on power. And so there's pretty much no 
willingness or availability to take ownership for themselves about how they are thinking in a way that's creating um, right the the toxic parts of the relationships. In other words, they're going to blame everything and everyone but themselves for the reason why the relationship looks the way that it does. And that's just their pattern, right? And they're not capable of inwardly taking responsibility and ownership for that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's because, and you you can tell me from the psychological perspective, but I think it's because if they somehow, it's, it's, a, it's a survival uh, protection for them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. if they, if they take responsibility, then somehow they're exposed as they're, as being worthless. That's right. So, you know, what's so interesting is that if you look at our physical brains, okay, and the hard wiring of our brains going back millions of years ago, right? Our brains were developed to keep us safe. Okay. Right. And millions of years ago, that meant like you weren't going to be eaten for dinner. Okay. But nowadays, what that means is uh, you're, you're hardwired to try to protect the inward thing that causes you the most pain. So if you think about the narcissist and their fundamental sense of worthlessness, their lives are wrapped around making sure that they, that feeling of worthlessness will never be touched by anyone or anything. So that's the survival mechanism is let me control you so that you never have access to touch on that pain. Yeah. That's good stuff. Good stuff. Yep. Yep. So now, okay, now these people have gotten into a relationship with these people and, and I personally have had to deal with them. I mean, I would say not husbands because my my poor husband, I don't want people to think it's him, but yeah. uh, other people in, in yeah. my life who were close enough to me to yeah. wreak havoc. Yes. And, and actually you were kind enough to give me lots of great advice about one of them when yeah. we were, uh, you know, roommates together, yeah. who's yeah. now, uh, thank God, no longer a part of my life. Right. But, um, you know, it's, it can, ha- I tell people this and I'm open about it because I want them to know that, yes, I'm a, successful attorney and I've, I've done all these things in my life, but it can happen to anybody. And if you're an empathic person and you want to be kind and you want to be generous and you think that you can help these people and, and you know, you, you end up doing these things or, or it's a people pleaser problem or whatever it is, but you end up, you know, getting sucked into that vortex of toxicity. That's right. And, um, so how do you move on? How do you get over this person? How do you get them out of your thoughts and out of your life? Yeah. Yep. It's a great question. So um, the bottom line is when you individually from within feel calm and at peace and good about yourself, you're able to recognize that you don't need this person or any person really, you don't need anyone to make you feel good enough, loved enough, important enough. So what's really crucial 
is that if you are somebody that needs to break away from a toxic relationship, that you're doing your own inner work, okay? Because here's the thing, many, many people don't recognize that they have this automatic mind that talks to them all day long from the moment they get up to the moment they go to bed, and they listen to this mind, okay? They identify with the thoughts in our minds. And by the way, we have 50,000 to 80,000 thoughts a day in our minds, okay? And most people don't understand that our minds just go. We don't tell our minds where to go. It just goes, right? So it's just like our bodies breathe for us. Our minds just go. And when you identify with all of the thoughts in your mind, your mind is whipping you all over the place, right? Why did he treat me that way? What's wrong with him? What's wrong with me that there's something wrong with him, right? All these places where we, where it, right? When you're in that toxic relationship, you feel badly about yourself. So the healing is really about taking your relationship with yourself, right? To actually a completely relocated mind, okay? Where you're no longer listening to the automatic thoughts of your old mind that truth be told have been playing on a loop for forever, right? So what's interesting is that, you know, when you think about the feelings that come up with within this toxic relationship, you might notice that on some level, you've had these feelings before. They might not have been as intense, okay? But they've shown up in other areas of your life and they've shown up in other times. So a toxic relationship is really a mirror, right? For you to look at where are the places where I lost myself? Where are the places where I, right? Like, like you said, Rebecca, right? I've been a people pleaser. I've been an over-functioner. I, you know, I knew somewhere in my gut that this behavior was unacceptable, but I made excuses for it. I justified it, right? I had this inner feeling that I ignored, right? So when we can tap- I can in- definitely say that was true for me. That's right. That's from the right. beginning, from the beginning. beginning. Yeah. And- you know what? And I, I wonder if you hear this in, in the people that you work with, because that's what I hear. I mean, we're talking thousands of people. I knew from the beginning, I knew from the beginning and I just, you know, I thought that he could change or she could be different or whatever it is, right? That inner knowing is inner wisdom. And when we're operating from that old automatic mind, we're not tapped into inner wisdom. We'd rather stick with right what we right what we already have. We're, we're very reluctant to let go because in the letting go of the relationship, right? That's scary. Oh my God, we're alone, right? We don't have this person. What if I never get into a relationship again? What if I can't you know live my life without my partner, right? So it's fear that keeps you stuck and attached to holding on to something that you know deep down is toxic, but you'd rather hold on to it than deal with all of the feelings of fear associated with letting it go. And so the healing for people is to be able to deal with that fear, but also know right? That when you learn how to think in a way where you can feel good, you can design a different life moving forward where you are no longer people pleasing and you're no longer accepting things that are unacceptable and you are no longer ignoring 
that inner sense of wisdom and truth. And this is really, really, really one of the most important things that you can do when you are dealing with a narcissist, either in your personal life, in your business life, or when you are negotiating with a narcissist. It's such a really, really great tool that you will have in your toolbox. And I actually say that you can use this either as, in a way, sort of a weapon or as a shield. Because when you're dealing with a narcissist, you definitely need both. And you can use this right away and in any time when you're communicating with a narcissist. It means in a way is like you literally become like a boulder. In a way, it's it's more like a boulder than a rock, but it, you can kind of think of it as gray rock. So you become devoid of emotion. You become immovable. Just think of yourself as kind of a gray rock. What does a gray rock do? What does a gray boulder do? It just sits there. It doesn't get triggered. It doesn't move. It just literally sits there. I mean, I remember doing this when I was dealing with a couple of narcissists in my life. And I didn't know the term gray rock at the time. I just kind of instinctively knew to do this. It's kind of like I knew, don't give them the satisfaction. You know that they're trying to get under your skin. You know that they want to get some kind of rise out of you. You just don't give it to them. Because what happens is they get narcissistic supply out of that. They love to see you go crazy. They love to see you get triggered. You just have to do whatever you can not to allow yourself to show that. And that's why you really need to have those boundaries. That's why you really need to keep your interactions as brief as possible because you know that you're going to get triggered, especially if you've had a longer term relationship with them. They know how to push your buttons. They just know exactly what to do to push those buttons. So you just try to be steadfast. You try to be indifferent. So here are some good examples. They text you. They text you something where they want some big dramatic response out of you. Just write back, K, just like the one letter, just the letter K or KK, something like that. You know, like my teenage daughter will respond like that sometimes. I mean, she's not trying to be like gray rock to me. She'll just do that to be cute sometimes, but you can just do that. Or you can just say, okay, if that's what you want or whatever. I mean, you know, just make it clear. Like I'm not affected by you. I am so not affected by you. I mean, I remember one time there was somebody in my family who was like really trying to get, you know, some emotional response going on. You know, you just like put it back on them. Like, oh, geez, you know, I'm sure traveling is really stressful or something like that. Like you just like put it on them. Like, I'm sure you're really stressed out right now. You know, you don't even like take it personally at all. Like, I'm sure you're really stressed out right now. I'm sure you you must be going through a really tough time. You, You don't even make it seem like whatever they're saying about you has anything to do with you at all. Because a lot of times, not only do they get narcissistic supply from it, they're also trying to get you to do something that they can then use against you. Use against you for custody, use against you in court to make it look like you're crazy, something like that. 
So, you know, don't give that to them because then they'll be able to show the judge, the mediator, see, I told you, I told you that person is unbalanced or bipolar or whatever it is that they're trying to say about you, right? So you got to be really, really careful about that because there it is in black and white. You, You know, you just give them that one time or worse, They use it against you for a potential restraining order. I've seen that happen before. I mean, just that one time that you throw that one thing or you slam that door or you yell and now the cops are showing up at your house and you're suddenly getting arrested for domestic violence and there it is. You don't want to have that happen. You got to stay in control of your emotions. You got to be that gray rock, right? And especially because, you know, if they show up at your kid's soccer game with that new form of supply or whatever, and they want you to say something so bad, you just say, oh, hello to their new person. How are you? So nice to meet you. You just smile. You don't say a word. Don't say a word, nothing other than that, because that is what they want. They want so much to get under your skin, so much. Think about Ted Lasso, right? I don't know if you guys watch that show, but you know, I actually have a video, by the way, on the narcissistic characters in Ted Lasso, which you could definitely check out if you'd like. But you know, there's there's actually a a scene in that show where Rebecca's ex-husband comes in and he wants to just tell her about how he has gotten his new girlfriend pregnant. And you could tell that she's bothered by the fact that he did that. And, And he says, oh, you know, I guess I had to, you know, find the right person or something like that. And, you know, it just so gets under her skin. She just doesn't want to let on. Just don't let on. That's the right thing to do because that is exactly what they want. Don't give them the satisfaction. Don't let them see you sweat because that's what they want. You know, go scream in the shower, go cry in the shower, scream in your pillow, do whatever you need to do. But you are a gray rock in front of their face. That's what you have to do. I mean, you just in front of their face, you just smile. Even when they're gaslighting you, And they're saying things, you know, like we had that conversation and this is how it went. I want you to smile and say, oh, you just obviously aren't remembering correctly. Oh, you just must not remember or we remember it differently. Just say it like that. We just remember it differently. And, you know, we can agree to disagree and that's it. And you can just smile and walk away. The rest of what you want to say can just be silent, just fill in the blanks silently in your head. And you don't have to say it out loud. Karma never forgets. She's She's got a very long memory and karma always comes back around because what goes around comes around. My dad used to say, be careful what you throw up in the air because it will come back down on your head. And it definitely does. You know, you can just say like, I'm sorry, you feel that way. That's fine. You know, just because we disagree, you don't, you don't have to be disagreeable. 
That's totally fine too. And you can fake it. I call it ethically manipulating the manipulator. You don't have to be anything other than whole and complete. And you are planted firmly in your power. You know who you are. And this is you knowing who you are, right? And yeah, it can be exhausting. It can be draining. And that's why you keep those interactions as brief as possible. I mean, you really don't want to spend a whole lot of time around this person because they do want to drain you. They do want to trigger you. They're constantly needling you. They're constantly trying to get some kind of reaction out of you because that's what feeds them. That's their food. That's their lifeblood. That's their oxygen. If they don't get that, then they're going to try to, you know, slither on down the road to get it from somebody else. It's their way. It's how they're built. And you're not going to change that. You're never going to change that. I recently had a conversation with Marissa Peer, who's one of the most renowned therapists in the world. She won't even counsel narcissists. She won't even take them in her practice. You know why? Because she knows she can't change them. Think about that. She knows that there's nothing she can do for them. She'll help the people who've been traumatized by them because she knows that she can help them. She knows that she can do something for them, but she can't help the narcissist. You know why? Because they have no self-awareness. They can't be helped. They can't be saved. So if the therapist who does hypnotherapy, who literally trains thousands of therapists all over the world, cannot help them, you cannot help them. You can't do it. You literally do not have the tools to do it. So what can you do when you're around them? You can just go gray rock. You use that as your shield. You use that as your weapon. You say, okay, if that's what you want to think. Sure. I agree with you. Great. Whatever. You just give them nothing because you know why? They get bored. They get bored with a gray rock eventually. They're not interested in the gray rock. They don't care about the gray rock anymore. They move on from the gray rock because they they want supply. They're not getting it from something that's not giving them any kind of feedback. You know, my husband and I used to have somebody in our family who was, you know, like trying to get a rise out of somebody. And then as soon as the person would finally be upset, like angry, like on the verge of tears, this person would be like, oh, now we're having a conversation. All right. Now we're getting going. This is good. What? Yeah. But that's to that person. That's what that meant. Because that person was finally getting fed. You don't want to be food for a narcissist. That's no fun. So just, you know, become a gray rock, protect yourself, use that as your shield. You don't go to war without weapons. You don't get ahead in battle without weapons. You don't go to war without a shield to protect yourself, right? And when you're in battle with a narcissist, you need weapons. When you're dealing with a narcissist, it's either black or white, That's how they see things. You're either for them or you're against them. When you're in that discard phase, you are definitely against them because you become public enemy number one. So when it 
becomes time to say goodbye. They want to make sure that you go down before they go down. They want the whole world to see that you were wrong. This is when you see the birth of the smear campaign, right? So you got to have protection and your protection will be that gray rock. Just become a gray rock. So no more supply, no supply for you because you are no longer giving yourself to someone who doesn't deserve it. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Tune in next week for another edition of Negotiate Your Best Life. Remember, if you want more ways to slay and you want more ways to be supported, you can always join my membership at joinslay.com forward slash slay. You can always subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can always grab my free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet at winmynegotiation.com. Remember that today is a great day to start negotiating your best life. And I will definitely catch you in the next episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. Thanks so much for listening. 